Don controls with his silence. Don controls with his absence. Don controls with a ringing phone that you can't even answer. to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. A lot of times in life you get to do something and you don't realize until it's over how much you enjoyed it. And you swear that the next time it comes around, you're going to remember that. Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. And Jesper. And we cover Mad Men, episode by episode. The best, most wonderful way to support us, and we thank those who are doing it, is to... uh, Join our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash they coined it pod. The ships a sail on a shore of this uncharted desert isle. I Yay. love that show. I watched that show as a kid all the fucking time. Didn't we just cover Gilligan's Island a few episodes back? <laughs> I did, didn't yeah. I? I was that was such that was so I know. prescient of me. I, I was very impressed when when this came up. I was like, just talked about Gilligan's Island because on mm-hmm. this particular episode of Mad Men, <laughs> Gilligan blows the chance for us to get off the island. So the reference, of course, is Ted Shaw, very drunk, but regardless, seems to have a go-to of how of, of getting his creative juices flowing, which is to take the different brands within a category and categorize them as Gilligan's Island. You know, he gives out a buzz, BuzzFeed test. And he's like, is there a Marianne? Where is there a space? And he was like, oh, margarine is, must be the professor, right? Intellect and science and this and that. But it was just, we all do things like that. I, I've never seen it done with brands that way. It's but a, it's, a, it's an exercise. It's, it's Ted's process, right? You know, you, you could do the same thing with friends. My sister and I, for many, many, many years, uh, were, were solid on that everybody is a Rocky Horror character. <laughs> exactly. I went to uh, business school at night. One of the classes I took was like some creativity class, which sounds like a disaster, right? Yes. Um, no. And it really wasn't. No, I thought it would be a disaster. But what they were calling creativity was really, or that they were categorizing under creativity, was really like a set of exercises that you could become proficient at that are just techniques for idea generation. It's not creativity in the sense of like creating art or putting two things together that, um, you know, some divine inspiration. No, it's about the work that undergirds uh, uh, idea generation, right? So there'd be like little exercises around think of, think of 50 words synonyms for this object, and then think of 50 synonyms for this brand or something else. Which is actually where his head started. Exactly. Like, let's, and, let's free and, flow about margarine. What do you got? Yellow. <laughs> and you put it all down there and you kind of go, well, which words kind of go together, even though these two objects are completely disparate and have nothing to do with each other. Now you're creating connections that you didn't realize. That, you know, it's a technique. It's an exercise. So that's really what Ted's doing. And Gilligan's Island is as good a a vehicle as anything else, but it has nothing to do with Gilligan's Island and everything to do with the exercise and kind of the discipline to do it. Well, the other thing it has to do with, though, is in many great storytelling stories, and Gilligan's Island is among them, but you've got your, you want your cast of characters to sort of 
uh, represent all the different archetypes. Yeah, that's why it's a watchable show, right? That's why it works. I mean, any Joss Whedon show, you've got, so you know, you've got uh, Star Trek, you've got your truth teller, you've got your innocent, you've got but one, one after the other. You could do it with anything. If they're following their formula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a little cat and mouse. All right, let's get to... Man with the plan. I think it's man with the plan, not man with a plan, All right. by the way. I got to tell you, I went back and forth. So the blog said- At least if Amazon is correct. Man with a is. plan. Amazon right. said man with the plan. Yeah. I'm going to check IMDb again because I, I'm telling you, I've, I've checked this Well, this a is a times. long list of useless shit. So I, I was well, just saying it because I noticed <laughs> it, but who cares? No, no. I mean, it, it, IMDb says man with a plan. Hmm. So I hope- you know. Yeah. And IMDb is Amazon, who is getting the show from the source, presumably. So who knows? I'm going to check AMC Plus while you Written are talking. by Semi Chellis and Matthew Weiner, directed by John Slattery. Original air date was May 12th, 2013. Takes place June 4th through June 6th, 1968. This is the episode where... CGC is moving into SCDP's offices and everyone's getting to know one another. Don and Sylvia begin a dumb sub role play, hot and steamy, over a few days before Sylvia ends the relationship. Pete's mom is showing cognitive decline and stays in Pete's apartment. Don and Ted compete for dominance with new and existing clients. Good old Bob Benson helps Joan when she's sick. And oh, by the way, RFK gets shot. Womp womp. It is Man with a Plan, according to the YouTube AMC official clips. Boom. The long national nightmare is over. <laughs> At last. <laughs> so, yeah, this really kind of revolves around. And I love that they do this, too. They kind of, <laughs> kind of hone in on the big move. The the real the, the real nuts and bolts guts of it, right? Of the move, uh, we got a new, we got an entire company setting up shop inside SCDP, which is cool. Yeah, I loved that too. I thought, uh, see, not skipping over that and just seeing, you know, where are people sitting and people are cramming yeah. together. And one of the things in this episode I noticed, and I, it's come up a lot this season. There was a lot, a lot of callbacks in this episode to old stuff. I think that gets summed up well or explained by the show ending with with Bobby Kennedy's assassination mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, again? Yeah, just uh, the same shit, different day, cycles repeating themselves for sure. I know it'll come up throughout as we talk. I'm not going to start listing now, but it's definitely, there was a lot of it. I mean, how many times are we going to see Peggy with a box? <laughs> Right. Yeah. And and a few more. But but it was neat just to see all the all the specifics, right down to firing Bert a little too much time with Bert Peterson for my take for my taste, but uh the scene with Roger was worth it. Was it was absolutely delicious. worth it. Yeah, yeah. That's a slattery special. But the real kind of meat of it is the dynamic between Ted and Don. The dynamic between them and the certainly the juxtaposition. We we've seen them we've seen them separately, but put, putting them together, it's yeah. like oh shit. 
And Ted, I think Ted is interesting separately in that, you know, sometimes he says something crude and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, but you're not you're not a saint. Like he said, the he says the thing about uh, a, a bar bringing in a bar cart. And, and Don yeah, is like, you should see who, right, yeah, yeah, well, you haven't seen the girl who brings it in. You know, every once in a while, he'll throw one of those out there. And then, but then the thing that, that drunken Ted had said previously is, please don't say I'm nice, right? He said that to Peggy. So I just think Ted's sort of conflict between basically being a super good guy, or at least that's the persona he's taken on. But that's we, the position he's, we don't, you know, it's just we interesting. We already know he's a killer though, right? He's already flashed that. That, that signal to Peggy with the Heinz yeah. and everything. I, I look at it more as it's a little bit situational for Ted. He he plays to the room a little too much. So when he's alone with Don and it's just the two of them and, you know, Don's sort of saying, oh, big deal. So you drink. And he's like, well, you, you know, he's trying to he's trying to one up and play the game with Don. And in, in a sense, that's someone who doesn't know who he is who does that, because why wouldn't you just be who you are no matter the circumstance? which, you know, is kind of who Peggy is, which is why we like her. So I think there's some of that. And further on that note, by the way, uh, Ted looks like a goofball sitting down with the creatives and rapping. He totally. sounds like a doofus. And that's not a Ted that we're sort of used to. He, he's just trying too hard. It's, it's ridiculous. And I don't know if Don instinctively, in addition to wanting to be with Sylvia, he instinctively knew to avoid that whole scene because it would be cringy. Ted dove right in. It was kind of awful. Yeah, that's good. I, I don't think Don did it deliberately, but he was all too no, happy. I could to- be, I could be stretching that a little bit, but if Don were there, it would have been. Ridiculous. Well, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's interesting. Uh, that's a that's a really interesting point that he he's trying he's trying very hard to be a man of the people, and it's yeah. it's, it's not going very well. Ain't going well. And there were a few things. It was rapping. Groovy. He did say groovy at one point, which which I like the link to the closing song. By the way, I think it's so groovy now that people are yeah, finally getting right. together. I had to think a second, but so, yeah, it's great. So, yes, so nice. I, since they they worked nice. in groovy from the the dialogue to that song, it was perfect. Uh, almost like mocking the whole idea of the song and Ted. <laughs> I that, mean, it's it's really know. interesting. I didn't. My takeaway from the episode was not mocking Ted. Um, but you're not wrong that there's some of that. It's not, yeah, it's not the takeaway of the episode. It was just the use of that song was like, was like a little shiv into, into Yeah, Ted's no, but part. you're pointing to the, kind of that his attempts to be cool. Well, they, they were perceived a few different ways. They were less than genuine. Yes and no. That's what I'm saying. I think Ted is interesting in, in, in watching this. Some of it seems forced and some of it seems like he's sort of stuck with this. Like, shit, I'm the nice guy. This is what I do. Even if that's what he's been putting on for a long time, man, he got out of that chair fast to give it uh, back to um, Moira. Which Roger called out as performative. I want to talk about that scene. Can we talk about that sure. scene for a second? That, that conference room scene? We've all been in meetings with, you know, where seating is, you know, there's not ample and people have to sit on a credenza or a stand or whatever. And look, my career, the 20, almost 30 years now is, um, there's a huge change in that, in this period of time. And now we're also, we're, you know, that's entirely post, 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 post Mad Men, of course. That whole, that whole thing, like I've been in companies where the culture was, and this was go, this is early days, where you absolutely didn't sit at the table if you weren't ranking. 
to the point where it had to be addressed, where, you know, whether it was suggestion box or survey or whatever the mode was, uh, it bubbled up as being an issue of like, what kind of a fucking place is this where, you know, people feel bad sitting at the table and it's very exclusive and it's exclusionary and all the rest to nowadays, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in a fortune 100 company. I would, I would find it hard to believe that that is still, I think we're more egalitarian than that now. Like people don't put on airs around who's sitting at the table. I've never seen it. Yeah, I agree. I, I now I, I came to corporate later in my life. I spent mm-hmm. a good long time in retail and restaurants. Then I came into corporate. It was advertising, which I think to this day is still somewhat looser than more on the casual, yeah, yeah. Than, than other corporate environments. I think I don't have much to compare it to, but hierarchical in its own way. Hierarchical in its own way, but certainly less hierarchical than the secretaries taking minutes, uh, right? Uh, yeah, I mean that's yeah, certainly yeah. again to your point, not Mad Men time. So I never saw much of of that. The idea that Pete, even a partner, would walk into a meeting, not have a seat, and say, "Where's my seat?" and then allow someone to get up, allow a, a, a woman, a, a female junior member, to get up and, and for him to take the seat, is insane. It seems insane now, not then, but now. And I, my my fascination is with when that shift occurs. We're having that conversation a lot these right. days on these episodes. Is when did these shifts occur? This was an interesting one because, like I said, just in the last 20, 30 years, I think there's been a huge shift. And Ted, and Ted was kind of demonstrative in his egalitarianism. In the last 20, you know. 30 years is also when you saw the open space offices and sure. oh, the sure. president also has a cube, which they've now started shifting back. <laughs> you know, they're like, that, yeah, that, that was dumb. But, yeah. you know, so it, it's part of all of that, of the sort of, Again, sort of performative, we're all a little more equal. But I do think, I mean, I do know that around a conference table, I've never seen any hierarchy happen around a a conference table. You snooze, you lose. (laughs) You know, that's just how that goes. My point is it wasn't that long ago that that hierarchy was, was enforced. It's great writing that they would take the time to do that. <laughs> That's one of the great things about Mad Men. I sure. Think. Yeah. And with very economical, you see a lot about the period and and at least two characters and also how everybody's reaction to. Oh, it's the culture clash, right? That's that's really what it's about is is this culture of, well, at SCDP, she's getting up. <laughs> and at CGC, Ted's trying to be, you know, the cool guy who raps with his uh, creative staff. <laughs> it's funny. I... You know, Don always, as long as we have known him in in the present timeline, has always, uh, as they as they said, you know, that office, nothing changes. Everything changes out here, but in that office, nothing's changed. Don and his demeanor with his team hasn't changed much. He still says creative in my office, right? That's his that's his go to. It hasn't changed much, but it has somewhat got. He's gotten even more aloof and. And yeah. Um, yeah. demanding and all of that. It, it's, sure. it's shifted somewhat. How's your little boy? He's the man of my life. How's yours? Oh, he's good. We bought a building together to live in. Well, we bought a building to live in together. I'm glad you're here. Well, I'm glad you're here. I had a thought about Joan 
when Joan, when we, when they start to come in and you see there's Joan on the stairs sort of organizing the entire move. And I first had the thought like, oh, that's very secretarial as a, as a role, but, but, but takes her leadership. Organizing a move, as we know, there's entire careers of people who just manage organizing moves. So I will give it to her. It was great. It was yeah. It's it's kind of a necessary cameo for the Joan character to be to need to do that. You know, it is beneath her title or her status as partner, but there's really no one else is going to do it as well as she does. So st- step in and take the reins. So here's a great callback that I was talking about. Is uh, you've got Joan again, Peggy with the box. Joan walking Peggy to her office, and one of them suddenly having a, a, a doubling over pain. Uh, oh, that's, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. how season that's, one ends, right? That's right. That's good. And that's it's just good. wonderful to see Joan and Peggy here, how they mm. are with each other. No resentment, no anything. It's all no, over. It's These are very, very comfortable between them. Yeah. Two women whose, whose goals have become more similar. So Joan is more understanding of of who Peggy has been. She understands the ambition. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just great. Yeah. I, I kind of was like braced. Like, is there going to be shade? There was no shade. It was just lovely. Well, it's, it was office manager, junior copywriter that first time. And now it's uh partner copy chief, right? I mean, that's, that's notable. Peggy throughout this episode. But she still gets coffee chief on the fucking <laughs> misogyny always wins. Still acceptable. Always, always it's funny though. Just fine. It was funny in its own way. But Peggy, she's probably, you know, she probably went home and did a lot of regrouping after that first night of hearing the news. And she's very well solid in her. I am not going to be rattled about who I've become since leaving yeah, this office. Sure. The very subtle joke of the uh, Don's secretary's phone ringing and and she's not there and peggy i mean and why it's subtle is because she doesn't crack a smile she just you want me to get it and don gets it like gets the joke answers the phone right it's a great joke well delivered oh absolutely but it was also it's first thing in the morning and i am going to make sure that you are clear who i know who i the who the fuck i am right Right. like she's absolutely not fucking around and in every you know in the creative meeting and everywhere you see her She's unflappably new Peggy and not, how am I going to deal with being under Don's thumb, old Peggy. Jim Cutler and I have, we believe, harvested the gold dusting of the Cleos by arranging for an advanced introduction to Fleischmann's margarine. They want to be Ted and Don's first love child. That's new business. Isn't there a section of this meeting called good news? But no, I think, I think what we're seeing here are the cultures mesh. I think we we get a little of Roger and Jim, who are cut from the same cloth, as you would say. Absolutely. Uh, and look, talking about the cutbacks and everything else, they are they are of of one mind. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> these two clearly uh, <laughs> deliberately demonstrated in this episode is that they're 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 a little twinsies in in everything, yeah. which is what he was set up to be from the moment we met him. Jim is Roger with bad breath. Roger is Jim with good breath, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> Let's just detour for a moment to Pete's mom. And I mean only for a moment, because I don't know what the hell to make of this, other than um, he gets interrupted a couple times at the office with issues around his mom, I guess, showing up at his 
at his new uh, his new pad. And slight spoiler alert here for those who have not seen any more Mad Men than this. I feel like these are just planting seeds. This is there is nothing really truly notable or interesting because <laughs> we don't need to see Pete's mom on a regular basis to to keep the story going here. The fact that she's in cognitive decline. Three C, you know, this is one of those you know Betty Betty going to look for uh, Sandy in in the Lower East Side. It's like all right, I, I get it after one scene. I don't really need three. Yeah, I felt the same way. Part of it, like in defense of it, is you know sometimes this show and and what Weiner is trying to do is just like the, here's what happens in life. A, an appendix, <laughs> it wasn't an appendix, but you know, like illness happens. People, when they get to a certain age, some of them start having to deal with their declining parents. I think that was part of it. I also found myself tired watching it. And I was like, is that because I've seen it before? And, you know, so I'm so you're bringing it up. Like it really just it was a little boring. It was entertaining when she's there with the boys and they're figuring out how their father, you know, lived his life. And, you know, there was some some tether to Pete and who he is. This does not have that. Although the one scene with Bud, I, I love that character. And He's great. Bud's great. They're, and they're great together, Pete and Bud. So, you know, we get a little of that. But yeah, for the most part, this is a waste. But I do think it's setting up some stuff that happens later in the season with with the mom. The other thing is it's, first of all, Pete, oh God, Pete, Pete was, this was another dirty diaper episode for Pete, you know, where he's just everything he's just snapping at everybody he's miserable he's this he's that i guess he thinks he's going to be irrelevant or fired or not fired can't be fired i don't well, know he, but he rightly he rightly senses the um the crisis of a merger a redundancies yeah yeah across the board and you're right as a partner he shouldn't he shouldn't be um threatened you know directly threatened? threatened but i think it's more of the the overall atmosphere Partners can get pushed out over time, right? So yeah, it's more of a it's more of a, a a passive threat than a direct threat. But you know, Pete's high strung, like his mom apparently is uh. what Bud said. But it, it's just that's what I find irritating is like Pete, you know, scene after scene of Pete just yelling at people and <laughs> taking it out on everybody. And again, it's like I guess not. You know, once again, nothing's changed. Like yelling. There's at, no sanding of those he's, corners. He's been yeah. yelling at secretaries since since we've known him. You know, and there was a moment or two that was touching with him and his mother. Oh, and then the thing I just thought of, what I just thought of now is he keeps having to cut out because of this. He has to leave meetings. He has to leave the office. Yeah, it's interrupting his his work. He's not talking about it with anybody. He's keeping it private. But it it is somewhat of a juxtaposition to Don's behavior. Now, Don's getting called out for it for practically the first time but don has a history of disappearing and not paying a price for it and here's one episode where pete you know needs some things rearranged because of his personal life with legitimate issues and people are intolerant of it and that's not great meaning meaning the mohawk meeting that yeah yeah i mean again he's not telling anybody what's going on but he it it does sort of show that he doesn't have the weight that Don has always had. Yeah, yeah. And now going back to what this episode is showing is, does Don even have the weight that Don always had? Because now there's a Ted who just by example is going to hold him accountable. It's interesting. So you mentioned 
Joan doubling over. I, I, I liked these scenes with her and Bob, where Bob's, you know, taking care of things and getting her out the door and getting her seen and that little trick he does to get her seen quickly. He does a few tricks. He gets her out. So Joan is doubling over and, and Bob comes to her office to where he finds her in so much pain and in tears that she's trapped in her office. How many people are, tra- how many women are trapped in, in rooms this episode? I counted three. Oh, right. <laughs> but what happened before that though, is now we don't know Bob and we don't understand Bob and we don't quite trust Bob. And now this shows us a softer side of side of Bob, maybe because what happened earlier is after Bert Peterson gets fired. Bob introduces himself to him. Yeah. I'm Bob Benson. I report to you. And and Bert says he can basically kiss his ass goodbye. So none of this shows in these scenes, but it is possible that Bob's motivation for being nice to Joan has has layers. Yeah, I think Bob's been a little bit of a cipher these early episodes. We don't know what to make of it. He's kind of framed as a little bit disingenuous with the whole thing with Roger's mom's funeral. So we don't trust him. But this business with Joan, you know, even if there's an ulterior motive in there, uh, he's quite good. He's got he's got skills we haven't seen. He's quick. He lies well. He thinks on his feet. And in his sincerity... He's wonderful. Like, you're like, oh, this is why a client would like you. Because before that, you couldn't see why a client would like him because he's so disingenuous. That's what you want in the account man at your firm. Yes. So he's got all that. And and I think Joan also respects the jumping into action the way Joan would. That's right. So, yeah, she, she genuinely likes him. And that pays off when she effectively single-handedly saves, saves his job. His job. Yeah, all this stuff is kind of positioning uh, as we go. It's hardly a spoiler to say that there's more to come from Bob Benson. It's, it's all set up at the moment. But, you know, it's all under this cloud of the merger and what's happening and the move-in and these relationships that are being revealed and, and being shown in different light. Ulterior motive aside, it is nice to see Joan getting some, getting yeah. some love in the office because there's not yeah. been a lot of that for her. One, one other thing I'll, 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 I'll jump in. You know, when we're talking about Ted and Don here, we're jumping around a little bit, but this is like a really jump around episode. I mean, it just has a lot of that, even as, you know, we'll talk about Don and Sylvia, which is another centerpiece. Right. This is all interspersed with Don and Sylvia, and we're, exactly. we're sitting on that. But it is a wild aspect of the Don and Sylvia storyline that all of this happens in between. Yes, exactly. Don goes out and has all of this happen. And comes back and goes out and comes back. No, there, there, there's a relationship between what's going on at the office and what's going on at the Sherry Netherland Hotel. Totally. But um, one thing I wanted to mention, though, is that in the in the course of this, I mean, it's the only I, I wrote down in my notes when I was watching. You know, Don wants to take out his dick to Ted, and Ted wants to rap about margarine. <laughs> you know, like that's really what to me, there's a lot in there because, you know, Don is so consumed with dominance over Ted. And and keep in mind, this whole merger was about him and Ted. It's not like they were forced together or thrown right. together and have to compete for turf or anything. Don is just being a bully with Ted. 
that's the style and it's old school and whatever it is. But that's really what what Don's about with this. And you can't really extricate that from his relationship with Sylvia at the moment. Ted is the one who should be concerned about his dick, if you will, coming into the new office. Don, uh, Ted rather, is very, I think, confident. Now, you, you also brought up he's trying a little hard to be like down with the people and that's valid. But in terms of his equality as a partner, and then we should talk about the Frank Gleason scene where he gets yeah. even more of that confidence back. But he's, yes. he's the guy who's walking into a new space. He's the guy who's walking into Don's house and laying out his role for people. And right. I, I think he does a pretty good job of it up <laughs> until the, the drinking thing. But also, I just want to mention in terms of dick whipping, I can fly us up in my plane is a right. pretty good display, if you will. <laughs> but that's in his pocket the whole time, right? Like that's kind of under the radar, so to speak, for a lot of this. Don's just more straightforward, put the drink, you know, put the put the booze on the table and 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 pour the glasses. Yeah, Ted tried everything else not to <laughs> not to not to play the playing card, you know. <laughs> and 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 Ted would have been happy just to just to fucking work together <laughs> and succeed. Come up with a good margarine campaign, yeah. Don's the one turning it into this. I mean, that's, you know, you mentioned the fact that they're moving into Don's space. Well, that's what gives Don license to be this way, is this is my house and you're you're coming in here and this is an initiation, you know, of sorts that you're going to have to go through. It's bullshit. It's, it's, it's lizard brain mentality. But then Don, Don has a lizard brain. We see that's another, another thing we see throughout the episode, right? So... But no, the Frank Leeson thing was great because it does play into all of this. It does give us it's it's Ted, you know, going to the mentor, so to speak, to get some perspective. And um, what I love here so much is just the they. It's like they really took care to write this dialogue between these two characters differently than everything else in the episode, mm. because we don't know Frank Leeson at all. We just learned he was sick the first time we meet him how Ted responds to that is meaningful when he's there in the hospital and Frank's in the bed and they're having this conversation. It's like, you know, we see Ted talking like he doesn't talk to anyone else. Frank, who we don't know is talking to Ted the way no one else talks to Ted. There's this deep familiarity between these actors. That is the backstory here. And it's lovely. And it's really, really great. Cause we've already seen how humanistic Ted can be. Yes, when Frank told when Frank tells Ted he's got cancer, there's that line of you don't have to tell Jim because he's going to see it on your face, right? Yeah. And then earlier in the episode before the scene with he, where he's in the hospital with Frank, everything sort of gets a little combustible in the in the back in that meeting, you know, well you didn't you lost these accounts for us was you know thrown at Pete, yeah. right? And then it's well you didn't tell us Frank Gleason was dying. To which Ted says he's not dying, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and I wondered too. You're right. It had a it had a totally different tone than anything we've seen to this point in the episode. And I bet, I mean, yes, they're partners, so we, we there's a rich history there. But it also I suspected was a little different than they've normally uh, been with each other. Maybe, because, maybe, but. It, it to me it just felt so unforced 
and so natural, almost like Ted needed to go there to get a little of that familiarity that he is not getting because now he's in a different office, in a different building. Everything's different, different, different. And he knows he has to adapt, but um, Frank is like the comforts of home to him is, is how I felt it was. So so it, it, to me, I think they do talk like that. All, you know, when when uh, Ted's describing Don, he's like, he's, he's, like he's studying me. And, and Frank just goes, you're, you're not, not that, that interesting. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Which is what close, close, close friends would say. And it was... Again, the backstory, it's all we know nothing about these guys and their their relationship, but it all seems clear when we look at this scene. And it's just so hard to do between the writing and the performances to make that really feel like you know who these guys are. And we have almost no screen time with the two of them. I mean, it's clear that Frank was the lubricant between Ted and Jim. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Frank is admittedly self-admittedly a gruff <laughs> a gruff character in in a lot of like he 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 spins things negative he's fairly i mean he's a word guy right and he's fairly real but i also the only reason I'll, i and we don't know i i do think there's a a level of comfort of course that they already had but i do think that that even um you know, the guy sitting there with a beard for the first time anybody's seen him. You know, he's just the guy's in in the hospital he's with on cancer. That's door. Yeah. And I think he's more there's nothing to withhold at this point. There's no I'm not gonna be a guy who has any yeah. formality left in <laughs> yeah. me. And I think right. that's what the extra injection into that scene was. For sure. Um it was for really sure. special. It was um, it was and, and he gives him some wisdom. Wonderful. You know, look uh, to with to dad about Don. You, you you know, give him the early rounds, <laughs> which is really wonderful advice. And it kind of gives Ted the confidence to not not feel like he's he's been knocked out, which is really special. You know, I I have this whole tangent I want to take about margarine and Fleischmann's margarine and I think that is going to be what we do for our eminently chewable uh episode. When, when it's time for the Patreon folks. I don't get it. So, you really can't chew margarine. I'm not sure. What moving on. All right. Dan's the funniest guy. If you insist. <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> Let's take a break on that note. And we will come back and talk about what floor of sacks Don bought that dress for Sylvia. I would like to say, again, callbacks. And again, somebody is not changing. The episode opens with the back of Don's head when that in the elevator. Oh, yeah. It's a back That's of the good. head shot. And, and then he overhears this fight uh, between Sylvia and Arnie. So I have a question. Does the elevator open right into their apartment? No. So what is he hearing? Is it in the hallway? Yeah. I mean, we see the bag and the hat and the coat there that he's obviously was pressed the button on the elevator. Maybe the door's even open. Maybe he went back inside. Although it's interesting. The fight, I just, I, the fight was so perfectly generic. There's nothing specific. I mean, there's, you're, he was leaving. He was going away for a bit. First of all, you only heard Sylvia's side, which I guess was Arnie being very calm um, or, you know, Play, taking that role of being very calm, but listening to the to the lines, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing much there. She's just angry at him for being 
And which isn't to say we don't know that he wasn't a total dictator. We don't know. But it just I loved that it was very sort of no, that's a really good point. A couple I, fight that could have been anybody anytime. It could have been. Exactly. It was a it was a generic fight. It's not like she caught him cheating and was doing, you know, giving him hell. But I think we're supposed to experience that fight the way Don does. Audibly only. We don't see Mommy and Daddy are having a fight. Yeah, that that too. And that the, the what it's about is unimportant. It's just that he overheard it, and that is because if if it was about something specific, and we then couldn't, you know, in, uh, 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 interpret that somehow, th- then we're laying that into what happens after that. The fact that it's generic, when she calls him and says, "I need you, come see me," that you know, that's the only spark we we need, or that we know he needs. So, yeah, I think there was a point to it being so generic because we're not supposed to make anything of it other than that it was a big, a big row. We're not supposed to take sides. We don't we don't know. We don't know if they've been fighting like this for years, Mm -hmm. if they're fighting like this now because she's having an affair. If I mean, remember, Arnie's going through some big changes, too. She virtually throws him out in that in that in that fight, right? No, I think he was not quite. He was going out of town for something. Right. But she was being sort of like. I don't. Re- I don't remember the specifics of it, so I, I'm just. I'm I didn't just get a, I didn't get a throwing him out. Thing. It felt. It felt like right up to that line to me. I don't know why. I thought. I thought it was more serious than the others. I didn't hear it that way because he was because he was his bags were already packed. I just didn't hear it that way. It's. It's again. I think open for interpretation. I don't think. I don't think we're supposed to know what stage of fighting this is or yeah. any really anything about I mean it has to it had to do we end up finding out it had to do with their son is in Paris Mitchell's in Paris yeah. it's the riots in 68 that were is a whole bunch of things I had had to do with with might had to do with unions or workers but it was unsafe for a period of time in the summer or late spring all of France is on fire. I don't even know if the phones are working. There's no room for me to worry about anyone but Arnold, not even our son. You can talk about your kid. I don't want to hear about your husband. I can talk about whatever I want. Can you help me look for my shoes while you do it? You want me to look for your shoes? I think there's your domino. Two things are happening today. Mommy and Daddy had a fight. And I didn't. that didn't hit me, honestly, until we hit record. And I was like, oh, wait. You always talking about how much he's fond of, of Arnie. Yeah. It wasn't just that he heard Sylvia fight. It's that Mommy and Daddy had a fight. Um, and we know Don's past is just runs him. So, so yeah. you know, it's never passed that and the first day of school or men, which is actually the, the line that Ted said to Peggy when she when they were walking in. But for Don, too, this is, you know, we already talked about how is Ted supposed to assert himself in a new environment? And we already talked about how Don did assert himself in, you know, but it is a new it is a new environment for Don also going to work. Don's most reliable way of asserting himself is by not being there. <laughs> so that's, you know, miss skipping the 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 creative meeting was perfect opportunity. Well, that's okay. So we're going to get to, you know, at some point you're going to say, "Hey Roberta, what do you think of this whole S&M thing?" I think mm-hmm. this whole episode is about Don and control. So I think that's a great point. Don controls with his silence, Don controls with his absence. Don controls with a ringing phone that you can't even answer. It started well before he goes with the the, the olive branch with the booze in Ted's office, which wasn't an olive branch, but really a stick in the eye, gets him drunk, more dominance, blah, 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 you know, then there's- Again, used to do that to Roger, throw back. 
and and resolved with this time with the the airplane thing. But no, Don gets empowered by seeing Sylvia and her response to it, how much it turns her on, how much it turns him on. He goes back and does more of the same, you know, him telling Sylvia to take her dress off after he got it for her and you're here for my pleasure. You know, you could you could overlay that with the scene with Ted in his office with the drinks and it's the same scene. Mm. It's the same scene. You're here for me. I could, I run what happens here. He's just explicit about it with with Sylvia, but he's trying to do the same thing and he gets kicked in the nuts really by both of them, <laughs> you know, in the end. I watched very carefully a few times uh, the, these scenes with Don and Sylvia and exactly when each one, each one's participation in the, in the fantasy it, scene by scene. Yeah. Sylvia over and over came out of character, succumbed, but then came out of character. To, to be very clear, she was she was never tied up. She was it wasn't it wasn't some crazy thing like like t- you know handcuffing somebody to a you know we've seen that on TV a million times and we've seen it on Mad Men. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that she could have left any time, all the time. She was fully free. She was playing. She was she she accepted it. Sure, but it sucked. I mean, it's exciting, but it then like to your point, she gets dressed for dinner, and now she's hungry. He's not feeding her. She can figure that out in between, but you know she'll get she'll get uh, disciplined if if he catches her with food, right? So who you know? There's all the of- difference is Don. Don is not seeing it as a diversion from real life. He thinks it is real life, and she's the one that snaps him back into reality and says, "Yeah, this is not a way to live. This is not what we are. This is not what I am." And when he says, "You know, it's easy to give something up when you're satisfied." Like, oh, you're so satisfied, now you can leave. She's like, no, I realized I'm ashamed. I realized this isn't who I am. And that that goes back, by the way, to the very first scene that we saw of them. I want to stop this. I know. She says, I know, because she, she wants to also. But it's that recognition that this, them, as good as it feels in the moment, is not, is not reality. It can't be the thing. They're a sow for each other and, uh, an oasis away from the world, but she's, she's the one to finally uh, the record scratch, the needle scratch that, that ends it all. So what I was saying is that once Don gets this idea in his head to be dominant with her, to, to take, to have, to take this journey with her, which starts from when she first calls and, and says, nothing else will do. I need Mm. you. Nothing else will do. You know, and, and, and the first scene is the is in the hotel room. And then he says, go to that hotel room. You know, he starts giving orders right there. Go to, the ho- yeah. go, go to this hotel, call me with a number. Fine. And then when he's getting ready to go back to work, he, ha- he starts being more clear about what he's up to by saying, you know, crawl on your hands and knees and get my shoes. Find my shoes and then, right? And, the, and, and the calling her and then don't answer the phone and then calling her again, you know, testing. What I'm saying, what... What was very distinct to me is that there is not a single scene, and there are several scenes with the two of them in this room, but there isn't a single one where she 100% swallows the pill. He he never, quote unquote, breaks character. Never. 
Yeah. Until she yeah, until she, she ends it. Yeah, she'll she'll every single scene she's like, "Wait, can I get are you dinner? Serious? What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. What are you doing?" And I think that that is I think it's a great point. I think like Rachel she saw more of his depravity, frankly. He could have taken this he would have taken this as, you know, she'd be there would, all week. She'd be there forever. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. she'd be there forever. If, yeah. if she, you know, she'd be there, she'd be there until she broke up with him. Like there wasn't, it was never going to end for him, which is, is sort of similar well, to what you're Cause he's a child. Saying. Cause he's a child. But he's, but he's so, he wants this fantasy so much. And then, and she's like never fully that it's a fan. She's like, it's yeah. a fantasy and I'm hungry. <laughs> and I put this dress on, this red dress, mommy whore. Thank you, Don. <laughs> yeah. Um, that she, you know, beautifully leaves behind and he sees that she's left that dress behind. Right. But I do. I no, that's, think a great, it's the, that's a great point. I think he's awful. I mean, I think this is the thing with all of the S&M, BDSM, blah, blah, blah in this show with Don. And again, I, I came up in a more evolved age with with all of that. And there's like rules and safe words and this and that. And I get that like they are maybe they're not that's not so well known. And, you know, so where is it a game and where isn't it is a conversation we've had several times. But Don doesn't care. Don doesn't mm-hmm. care where does it end and where does it not. Don doesn't say, OK, but if I give you one ring and then hang up, that means I, you pick up the next one because I can't come back. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, like, exactly. He doesn't yeah, there's give her no, out. There's no stepping in and stepping out. And that's your your point about her breaking momentarily to come back. And as a viewer, that's a very important point to pick up on because all we see is her keep going back into it and enjoying it and being totally game for it. Sure. You know, he, 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 he dials the number, she picks up, he tells her not to, and then she... Masturbates. She masturbates to that, which, come on, she, that's fine. She Valid. She... she she self dials. <laughs> She's <laughs> using the rotary. Um, that uh, <laughs> is, uh, yeah. So we see her enjoying it so much that this is, I'll, I'll use my favorite term again, you know, surprising and inevitable because mm-hmm. it makes all the sense in the world from what you just pointed out. And yet surprising because we thought she was, in, as in, we were led to believe perhaps that she was as into it as he was, but the signs were always there that she had a foot in reality that he did not have. And I think that her foot in reality finally figured out that he's cruel. Oh, yeah. Cruel. He's a nut. <laughs> that he's a nut and, he, and, he, and this was cruel. And I think when he took her novel, that was the yes, last straw. You're right. Because that, that, that was her staying in the real world while he was gone. Well, that was her not being in a dog cage, you know? I yeah. mean, I, I guess the room didn't have a TV <laughs> is what I'm... Uh, surmising because it really right. did feel like let her me last look at when see the when did the sherry netherland get tvs in the hotel room so i'll be right back oh and we're back we don't know that was a joke <laughs> <laughs> um you're absolutely right i think that was all it it all makes perfect sense through that lens that yeah. explains everything it's really 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 strong i did it i cracked you it did it cracked it let me tell you i was i was really concerned about I was really concerned about cracking this. I was like, I was like, I'm going to have to talk to somebody who's better. I'm going to do reading. But, but yeah, that, that's what I saw. I had a dream that you crashed in that plane. But I'm back. I dreamt I went to your funeral and Megan cried on my shoulder. 
Stop it. And then I went back to Arnold, and I made love to him. And I said, I've been away, but I'm home. It means you missed me. So when she says it, when she says, this is over, and she sticks with, this is over, that's the first time we see Don get out of his master face. And suddenly it's, you know, some wonderful uh, John Hamm acting. Suddenly yeah. he is that little boy that you described. Se- seven years old. Absolutely. And beautiful. Yeah. And, and then he says, please. And it's like. Mommy, please. I mean, it's really like you couldn't ever picture him saying please to a woman to stay yeah. until we saw that. And no, it, it let all me, fits. Yeah, it fits. And I had a hard time caring. I got to say, like, I feel no. like the show is shifting from, oh, Don's got some shit underneath there to a show about a guy who's an asshole. And, and everything's starting to blow up. Who, who was an asshole all this time in reality? That's right. You, can, you know, that's part of this rewatch, right? It's For Rachel sure. again. It really is. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of that. Um, you didn't want to run away from me. With me, you just wanted to run away. When Don goes back and he's the, the only scene with Megan in the show, in the episode, to me, it was a, it was like a callback to the Phantom, the end of last season, mm. when he's looking at her reel and how beautiful she is. And I'm I, I, if I can make her look great on film and get her a job and get her career going, I'm going to do that. He, right. And he does that. It was like, I can I can never resist her. Right. Even as he's walking off set into a bar and, you know, banging the woman downstairs that um, but that was that loving look. And now now it's she's talking like the like the peanuts uh, teacher. Totally. He's just watching her lips move. She drowns out. Her lips are flapping and he could give a shit. It's now that the bloom is off that rose entirely, entirely. And he had this whole S&M thing going with her as well. Right. Like there was that whole role play aspect to their relationship that we haven't seen now for a little while. And so Don is just cycling through these fucked up role plays, uh, you know, for himself. It's it's crazy. And once they get real, either. I mean, she checked out today. It was Sylvia that checked out. Rachel checked out this time. You know, he's checked out. In advance, we'll see, you know, what Megan does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's Megan. She's also, she's. I love that she's in the flood in the MLK episode uh, is when Arnie and, and Sylvia are going to D.C. And Megan says, oh, we should take a trip. I'd love us to take a trip. She just, it's very um, a throwaway line. And I love that that continuity is here. Now she's trying to plan this trip without the kids, maybe back to Hawaii without the business paradise. She is doing everything she can to respark this marriage. Well, that's her mom. Her mom, gave, you know, was, was the, the, the advice. Okay. Before we go, I want to just touch on the airplane ride because I remembered it very differently. So they're going up to see Mohawk and, I've got a a plane and didn't you know he's a pilot and boom. Okay. And now, and then Pete can't go. We've got this all set up. Now what you've got is Ted and Don in a plane. If you haven't seen this in years, you you can picture it. You remember it, right? It's so vivid, the visual. Now it happens to be raining a lot that day. This has to be, I didn't, I didn't double check this, but you know how my sister always says, the weather, you know that the weather, if the, if it's raining, it's because it was raining. I guarantee it was raining in, in on, you know, in the area, the day that RFK 
was killed. I guarantee it. So it's raining and, and it's raining kind of hard. It gets mentioned a few times. Don is like, maybe we should wait a few hours. And Ted says this thing about, no, no, you, get, you don't understand. Once we get through it, it's, it's like a summer day up above the clouds. Okay. Mm. And then they go cut to the shot of the two of them in the plane and like angled up. And it's in this, you know, horrible weather. And the look on Ted's face is so intense and it looks <laughs> like now it is a joke you see it and you kind of laugh but it also looks like a more cliche joke which is Ted's all talk but now he's terrified yeah and that's not what's happening he's in this intensity and Don asks him a question like how long have you been doing this or whatever he's just like not now like yeah. that intensity which came across as fear no, it's meant to scare the shit out of Don yeah oh I don't think so I think oh, that no? was him concentrate I think you need to you are flying a tiny little plane like that. You are using you shh, not now. That is a not now moment. Oh, okay. I I I thought Ted was in control the entire time. I think he was in control, but that's how he was in control. You know, okay. like keeping his focus very intense and very yeah. not now. <laughs> and then the second they're good, they're fine. They're they're fine, and now it's sun, sunny. And then he, then he says the thing, which is both you know you can metaphor it if you want, but I just think it, this is to fuck with Don. It's like you don't even know when you're upside down sometimes. That's why you got to look mm. at the controls. That's that's the <laughs> right. That that's Frank Leeson and the wisdom and the yeah. It's great for sure. All right, let us go on another break. Let us journey through the clouds, and we will come back with quotes. What's your quote, Dan? Well, we didn't talk that much about Peggy and Don back at, at in Don's office. And there's a lot there. It's the callback for... Uh, to the hospital. For all those scenes, right? Yeah, move forward and all that. And that, that that's my quote, is is the exchange where Don says, you know, she's ripping him about, I wanted him to rub off on you and not you to rub off on him. And he says, he's a grown man. She says, so are you. Move forward. She walks out. I mean, that's that's a kick in the in the in the stomach. She's so. Uh, I mean, I loved what he said, which is like, "Yeah, I did all this so I could have you back complaining in my office." Which, <laughs> fair enough. Good line. You know, that, fair enough. A, he's entitled to that. But she is solid. She is like, "This is no. this is who I am now. I get to be in your office and tell you how to act and tell you to knock it the fuck off." And yeah, and not take your shit. Like, this, this is not what this is about. What's your quote? One of the things I really enjoyed about the Pete and his mother scenes is, I haven't had a parent go through this. Um, totally. Yet. <laughs> I have. And you have. But it isn't, you know, it isn't clear cut. And, and these moments of lucidity or these, right? <laughs> yeah. So, Good days and bad days. So, Dorothy... And I didn't catch that. I didn't uh, jot down the quote leading up to it, but it was, she basically says Trudy when it was Judy. It was Judy, right. And Pete is just furious because that's all Pete is. And Dorothy says, now I suppose I'm crazy for mixing those up. And I just, I thought that was wonderful. I just thought that was so realistic on so many levels. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Because she's been thinking it for years, obviously. (laughs) I mean, everybody has, right? We, you know. For sure, for sure. So, you know, this is uh, it's a good effort by John Slattery as director. Um, oh, I enjoyed a, it a lot. 
it's I enjoyed watching it. There were moments again the the Pete's mom stuff did not do it for me. It's a little too much of the episode. Even the Bob and Jones stuff, as entertaining as some of that was, was a lot of screen time. I could have always used more uh, more office stuff, but um, no, this was this was really good, and it moved a lot of stuff forward. I think that's the other part. Moved a lot of stuff forward. In well, the it's show. episode seven, so definitely I enjoyed. I will say I enjoyed the Bob and Joan stuff mm-hmm. more than you did. Yeah. It was it was another callback, right? Him coming into the apartment and her in the robe was very yeah. similar to what we saw recently with Don. But I, you know, I think also if you erase what you know, th- those scenes are become a little more interesting because you don't know yeah. what's coming. So it's like, what's ha- what is what is this? What are we doing here? So and, you know, w- worth worth mentioning as we as we wrap up that the three major assassination events of the 60s um not including a fourth like malcolm x uh jfk mlk rfk this one the show is not about rfk's murder the way the flood and the grown-ups were about those murders so it's interesting again how we talked about it's the housing it's how you're living your life and but this one is not that this one is this is, you know, it's literally on the screen as it's it's happening as the credits roll. And that beautiful uh, that beautiful other moment of, you know, similar to what I just said, which is <laughs> which is Dorothy coming coming out and waking Pete up and saying he's been yeah. shot. And and Pete thinking she's crazy. It's like yeah. you're, you're confused. That was years ago, which also calls back to all these callbacks. <sighs> Everything was years ago. There's nothing new in this episode. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, as they say. Next week, we've got The Crash. The Crash. And it's episode eight, so acceleration wow. happens. It speeds up, you could say. It's like an amphetamine trip. All righty. <laughs> so to speak. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theycoinedpod for bonus content and extras. For cool swag, visit etsy.com slash shop slash theycoineditstore. Neat looking shirts, hoodies, and tchotchkes. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us questions at theycoinedpod.com, Twitter and Instagram at TCI Pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lipp. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.